If any of the reasons for keeping a specific focus and having a very identifiable style doesn't help you create your version of success, then don't feel like you need to do the things that artists who want that do in order to fulfill their version of success. Hello, all my brilliant creative friends. Thank you for joining me today on the Sage Arts Podcast. I'm Sage, your solo host today. We've had some rather intense and jam-packed episodes the last couple weeks, so I thought it was time to go easy on you and to be honest on me. (laughs) So we'll keep the conversation a little shorter today than the last couple episodes. The subject today, though, is no less important than any of our previous episodes. It can be maybe a little hard to get a grasp on for some, but let's see if we can figure this out together. As usual, I'm in my little podcast studio, and one of these days, let's say this weekend, I'll post photos or reels of the room so you can better imagine the place you're joining me in. Mostly, I am surrounded by mid-gray value curtains and blue-gray walls, which might not sound all that exciting, but I do my photo editing in here, and gray is the best color to have around the computer, not just because of color getting cast on the screen, but also because a more colorful place could influence how bright or saturated I see the colors on the monitor. But behind me and off to the side, I have a bookshelf full of art and craft books, of course, and some odd things I gather on my hikes and travels. And then directly behind me, there's some of my own polymer pieces and photographs and publications tacked onto the black soundproofing tiles to make a nice background for those times when I might put it on video. But in the corner opposite me, we've brought in a cozy couch section, just a section, because that's all that'll fit, not a whole couch. And I have this foggy printed forest wall hanging behind it, and that's where my visitors sit. So come on in and lounge here with me or settle into your studio space and create. If you listened to some of the earlier episodes, you know I suggested you could commit this time you spend with me as all around creative time. So you can join me from your studio. That would be all the better. If you've been having a hard time getting yourself into the studio, maybe making a promise to yourself that you can have Sage Arts time to go along with it would do the trick. I don't know. It's worth a try, right? I also thought I'd check in and see if you are doing the Daily Stories Challenge. If you didn't catch that in Episode 6, the one on story, it was just to find some small story in your life every day and jot it down so you have a journal or sketchbook of ideas to pull from but mostly to get you noticing what small, meaningful things happen to us every day, to get you searching your daily life for the inspiration you need for your work. I was doing really good with this at the beginning of the year. I was writing poems each morning on my chosen story from the day before. So I got a poem in as well as getting a better look at these small moments in our lives. And you can do this too, do a sketch or snap a photo or something as well as writing or instead of the writing part, just whatever gets you to be more attentive to the little things in our day-to-day. But myself, I got caught up in how busy I've been with this podcast. I was jumping out of bed every day last week, just getting to work on the AI episode, which is really an involved piece, and it took up all my time. So I wasn't looking for my stories, and I wasn't writing them down. But I'm trying to get back to that this week. My story this morning, for instance, was just about noticing that my poetry journal is falling apart and I'm in my last few pages of it. So it made me kind of sad to know it's almost time to retire it. I think we get really attached to our creative partners, be it a favorite tool, a lamp, table, chair, sketchbooks, or that little mascot I think we all have on our table that serves no functional purpose. You just want to have it near you in the studio space because it gives you joy. 
So my story was about recognizing that relationship we have with these things that we use every day and how it mirrors how we sometimes have to close the book on some friendships or other relationships, usually temporarily because of distance or our lives going in different directions. But it doesn't mean we don't cherish the time we spend with them any less. And although they may get, quote unquote, put on a shelf for a time, we like that they're there and that we cherish them nonetheless. So that was my little story. I just wanted to give you an example of something you can find in your daily life and encourage you to keep finding them in yours. Speaking of cherishing, I just want to thank all of you who have reached out to me this last week or so. I cherish each and every personal message. And this last week or so, it wasn't just comments. I was getting links and articles and questions. And I even got a shout out on Wendy Moore's blog. That's the afterthemonsoon.com blog. She's very contemplative about her life as an artist and what she finds out in the world and has just some beautiful insights. So check that out. And thank you, Wendy. Yes, just so much input this last week. And I really do appreciate it. If you wrote me and I didn't get back to you with more than just like a thumbs up or whatnot, I apologize. I've been keeping super busy, but I do read everything that comes in and I so appreciate your kind words and support. So keep those coming. You can continue to send me comments or give back through a donation or tell me what you want to hear that you're not hearing yet, anything at all. Just go to www.thesagearts.com. You can go to the contact page to reach out to me via email or there is a voice message, a little red button for voice message there. If you want to give back with a little financial support, stay on the homepage, scroll down halfway and you'll find the buy me a coffee and PayPal donation buttons. That little bit of giving back is so, so appreciated. I also love to hear from you no matter what you have to say. I have one more shout out actually, but I'm saving it to start out today's conversation because it was such a crazy serendipitous coincidence. So let's start, as I always do, with questions to keep in mind so you are set to look for the answers in this chat of ours. I have a two-part question for you today. One, what determines the choices you make about your particular career path? And secondly, do you prefer to work in one heavily focused groove in this path, a groove that gives you an easily identifiable style? Or do you like to make a bunch of different grooves involving a variety of different interests that might make your style and voice a bit difficult to pin down? Keep in mind that those questions are meant to help you focus on the material most relevant to you in this discussion but it doesn't indicate what's right or wrong because only you can determine what's right or wrong for you. I'll get to the particulars of what I mean as we get going here. So yeah, I'm sitting here outlining this episode and I get a message on Facebook Messenger from this longtime reader and fellow polymer artist, Belinda, and she is asking me the exact questions I'm pondering as I create this podcast you're now listening to. It felt like a sign from the powers that be because I was also sitting here looking at these ideas, thinking, does anyone actually want to hear this stuff? And mind you, I do this all the time. I think a lot of us do. I often feel like I'm the only person who must find this stuff interesting. And it's so weird when I've had evidence for years that people like to hear the little meanderings in my mind, not because they come from me, but mostly because I am reflecting ideas and emotions that so many of us are feeling. What I think happens, though, is that many of us end up thinking we're alone in our interests and experiences because there isn't a lot of conversation about some of these topics or no one you know has ever brought it up. And many of us have this habit of comparing what we are doing with what other people are doing or with what the dominant topics and articles are going on about. And when they aren't saying what we're thinking, we may believe we're rather alone or at least our thoughts are rare. But the fact is, we're not alone, not in the least. It just sounds that way from everything we have thrown at us. 
So here's the thing about most informational public media, if you haven't already figured this out, it's going to be geared to sell you something. And the best way to get you to let go of your hard earned cash is to sell you something that seems like it can make you money or gain you fame or create success or solve problems. The ones that are keeping you from being successful in your career, relationships or finances or whatnot. So most of the noise you hear is going to be how to make money, or how to make the things happen that will make you successful so you can get money or fame. If your questions aren't specifically about making money or getting recognition or gaining the version of success they're trying to sell you, that's fine. It's great even. If you're at a point in your life and creative journey where you're trying to find the creative path that makes the most sense for you, that fulfills your creative spirit while connecting you to the world in whatever degree you need. And that could be recognition or camaraderie or making others happy through your creations or just feeling like you're part of something bigger than yourself. And maybe you feel lost right now. You might not have found quite the right medium or form or genre of work, or you found too many and you don't know which ones you want to do and you just want to play with them all, or you haven't realized there is no one niche for you. Finding the truth of what you need to be doing, the path you need to be following and the right way for you to travel on it isn't easy and it isn't usually obvious. A lot has to come together to make a good match in art, just like good matches in relationships. But if you keep kind of mucking around and you don't give up, you'll find what you need. It does, however, start with realizing that what you need may not look anything like what other artists seem to be after. So for nearly a decade, I published books and magazines on polymer art. It was never easy. It wasn't even particularly profitable, but I loved it with my whole soul and heart. It felt right. It felt like home, at least at the time. When I had to shut it down due to some overwork injuries and the skyrocketing costs of various aspects of production, it pushed me to see that the last couple of years of doing that might have been more out of inertia than passion. I still loved putting the magazines together as it was an avenue to teach and connect to an artistic community that I loved. But publishing had taken me completely away from my own creative endeavors. And for a while, that was okay. But towards the end there, I realized I was losing touch with a part of me that had been the core of who I am all my life. I had to get back to creating, to get back to getting lost in the process, to being childishly curious and endlessly fascinated. I had to get back to my own creative work. So I started working on a novel, which I had wanted to do for a while. And then six months later, I started on a second one before I even finished the first one. I also got back to writing poetry every morning. I discovered a new form of photography, ICM, intentional camera movement. It seemed like a dream come true to be able to just create things that I wanted to create all day and not have my day be just wound up in marketing and project management and the minutia of running a business. But it ended up being not that wonderful. And I actually became rather depressed. It's not always easy to pinpoint what is missing in your life when you find yourself feeling unsettled. But let me just say, don't accept it as is. I didn't. I spent a lot of time talking to my better half, journaling, just staring out windows, trying to figure it out and taking lots of road trips. There's nothing like miles and miles of roads to get your brain really working on a problem. And what I concluded was that I really missed being part of something that was bigger than myself, that gave back to the world, that allowed me to share what I know and I've learned and to see other people grow from it. I had started another blog, but there just isn't a lot of interaction on blogs online anymore. So somewhere along the way, I started thinking about podcasting, probably because I was driving cross country a lot. And I listened to a ton of podcasts and realized I wanted that. I wanted to reach out of people's phones and computers and shake them up some. 
And as you know, I did it. I started a podcast, but almost immediately my creative time dwindled as I threw myself into it. And I do love this so, so much, but I began to wonder if I would be able to become a successful author or a photographer with sales in the gallery or do enough polymer work to get back to doing sales again. I often say I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none because I do a ton of things, but I don't spend a lot of time with any one of them. And that's bothered me for a long time. My husband has a singular passion for animation and cartoons that is astoundingly focused and unerringly passionate. We met in high school and the passion was the same back then as it is today. And that's pretty rare. But you have to realize that the slice of what we see of well-known or successful artists, because realize you don't see everything they do, including the failed work and the many other things they explore. That picture we have of what these amazing artists do would make you think you need to have a singular focus. But many of us won't find that. And that's okay. I don't have that. I create, though, nonstop, no question. But what is my artistic calling? Why can't I settle on one thing, one material, one market, one anything, and at least have something as a predominant thing to be known for? Well, my recent self-evaluations uncovered an interesting fact for me. You know what I'm known for? This, teaching, sharing, trying to inspire, helping others find and refine what they do creatively. Wanting mostly to teach and coach doesn't take away from me being a creative. I will always make things every day, all the time, but sometimes it will be a podcast and sometimes it'll be a mosaic table for the porch and sometimes I'll build shelving or convert a minivan into a camper van. Some days I'll crochet a hat and other days I will sketch and paint and I'll keep returning to my camera and my clay like a favorite sweater I can't go long without cozying up to. What this realization revealed though was that I have all this outside pressure to present myself as some specific type of artist, because if I'm not a particular artist with a recognizable style and a CV the length of my arm, what right do I have to be telling all of you what to do with your creative lives? But that's the funny thing. I have been a creative in the best way possible for myself all my life by doing what I want to do when it makes sense to me. And that was the real epiphany, that I've been measuring my life against the expectation and the success of others. I've wondered, when am I going to buckle down and make a name for myself in some particular artistic niche? But what it comes down to is, that's not me. I don't sit still and picking one niche is not going to hold me for long. And you know, that's okay. What I do makes me happy. It makes plenty of other people happy. I manage to keep the lights on and food on the table and nobody around me wants for things I've failed to provide. So why should I become this one track type artist? Yes, success in certain areas is easier when you do that. Galleries can pinpoint your work and style and make it easier for them to sell your work. Wholesalers can feel confident they're getting into business with someone who will provide steady, dependable, and somewhat predictable art that they can sell to their clients. You can build a pretty steady and loyal customer base who will follow you around and consistently buy from you because they like that singular type of thing that you do. But if these kinds of sales aren't what you're in this for, then why restrict yourself? And that was the core of what Belinda was asking. She doesn't feel she has a recognizable style and was concerned about her potential success as an artist if she didn't develop one because she doesn't see herself finding just one groove in the road that she's following. She loves to explore and create according to her mood. Me too. And why not? Yes, it seems Belinda and I are both in a position to not have to streamline what we do, but even if you have to be consistent because making money is a necessary or desired part of your picture of success, 
that doesn't keep you from doing other work or create other grooves in your creative life to dwell in and get joy from. Gwen Pina, who made primarily Southwest style gift shop polymer figurines and such, also made these crazy mixed media sculptures and lamps and things, but she didn't make them with an eye to creating them for a new market. She made them because it made her happy. And she had, at the time I interviewed her in 2011, over 600 retail accounts she created for and shipped to every year. Yet she made time for those pieces that made her happy. She had a very particular niche and a very recognizable style in the primary thing that she did, and that allowed her to grow and keep a large database of shops to sell to. But that wasn't all she did. She created her own couple of artistic grooves in her road, her own version of creative success that fulfilled her as well as keeping her and her kids taken care of. So don't try to be something because you keep hearing that's what you should do. Make your own road. And on that road, you develop your own groove or grooves according to what you need and what you want to accomplish. Some people might think that spreading yourself out amongst numerous interests might make it hard or frustrating even to achieve much of anything or just feel accomplished. I don't necessarily think so. Now that I'm teaching more through this process of producing this podcast, my creative motivation has skyrocketed. I'm still writing novels. I've picked up my polymer clay again. I've even pulled out tile and stone and I'm working on mosaics. I'm out with my camera every day, even if it's just for a few minutes. And most days I write and or edit a poem and I'm getting the photos and poetry together, usually on social media and connecting with other great photographers and poets that way. So am I crazy if you're doing that much? Well, yeah, maybe a little. (laughs) My case may be a bit extreme, but I'm happy with what I'm doing. And I know I'm happy because my muse is just humming along and is excited about all of it. So There are a lot of grooves in my road to follow, but I'm really enjoying the journey as it is. For those of you who struggle with narrowing down your creative identity to one primary medium or who jump from project to project, I want to tell you I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. If your inclination is to try multiple different mediums and multiple different styles and that's what you're drawn to, don't try to push yourself into a more restrictive box unless it's absolutely necessary. There's nothing wrong with not being known for a particular thing or maybe even getting into a gallery or being published or any of those things that might help you accomplish. Those things have purposes that support certain types of artists who have certain types of goals. You get into galleries to reach the kind of market that buys from those galleries. You get into wholesale production because you found a style and type of art that you will happily reproduce 100 times or 500 times or 1,000 times and not feel like you're missing out. If these reasons or others, because the reasons for doing these things are a lot more varied than what I just said, if any of the reasons for keeping a specific focus and having a very identifiable style doesn't help you create your version of success, then don't feel like you need to do the things that artists who want that do in order to fulfill their version of success. Don't feel pressured to do more than you're already doing to gain more recognition or get into better shows. You don't need to let other people's ideas of what a successful art career means determine your path. The only success that counts, in my book at least, and I think for many of us, is the success that finds you happy, content, constantly curious, and regularly working in the studio. If that thing is you making whatever your fingers want to bring to life on just the weekends and your lucky family members get those treasures and you don't feel the need to strive for more, I can't think of a more wonderful creative life. If you want to make a career out of it and want to get in the big shows and win awards, that's wonderful as well. If it makes you happy and keeps you creating in a way that feeds your soul and keeps your muse content, I say go for it. For me, right now, I want to make things just to make things. 
I love the process of creativity. I love getting into the zone. I love that welling of emotion as the thing I create comes into being so much so that it takes on its own life. I'm not saying I don't still feel the pressure to become better, to get bigger recognition for my creative works. But to be honest with myself, the only reason I would want the recognition is for the affirmation that what I'm doing is worthwhile. But I know in reality that the only judgment of whether I'm doing something worthwhile should come from me. So if you've been struggling with figuring out what you want to do, what direction you want to be taking, or what new direction you might take on because you've been feeling stifled in what you're doing already, try to make the focus of your search be the thing that makes sense to you for you and for your life. I was a working artist for about three years or so, and I can't say that I don't miss going to the shows, that camaraderie, setting up the booths and chatting with all your neighboring creatives. I just love that energy. I also miss seeing the smiles and satisfaction of people purchasing my pieces and that contented exhaustion at the end of a show from all the talking and running about. But I don't miss the insecurity of the money or the hard work of putting it together or the long, lonely days creating, knowing no one in those moments cared about what I was doing besides me. But in those years as a working artist, that was right for me at that time. And that's the other thing to keep in mind. What is right for you now may not be right for you in the future. And that's okay. Just check in with yourself on a regular basis. So when you sit down to create, regularly ask yourself what's on your mind. Is it what will sell or how can I do the cool things that I'm seeing others do online and feeling kind of stressed and anxious? Or are the questions in your mind excited chitterings of curiosity or almost mindless meanderings of what will happen if I try this or if I do that? I think most of us have all these voices in our head at one time or another, but if it's all the first set where worrying is kind of the theme and none of the second where curiosity rules, you're not going to be able to hear your own artistic voice very well or see the shining light of your imagination illuminating the path it really wants to take. So give yourself permission to wander and explore. Or on the other hand, explore for weeks or years some singular technique or style. I can't tell you how many artists, very successful artists, have told me they worry that they're a one-trick pony. So there you have very successful artists who are focused, worrying that it's not enough. But what's wrong with one glorious, amazing trick if it keeps you fascinated and joyful in your work? And then there are others like Belinda and myself who become concerned that we don't have enough focus. But enough focus for what? I don't have good focus in my art, and I've concluded that right now, I'm fine with it that way. My brand of weird is not liking things to stay the same. I don't like routines. I kind of like it when I get hurdles thrown in my way, so I have to figure out a new path for whatever it is. So it makes sense that I don't have one medium or style that I'm running with. Now, there is one caveat I should mention about doing a lot of different things. You do want to be careful that you're not jumping around out of fear, Uh, fear of realizing something isn't working and fear of failure, which you can avoid if you never complete something, right? But you're also putting off the possibility of success. The fear of failure, though, can be much stronger than the desire to succeed. So I'd suggest that if you're exploring something new, stick with the thing long enough to find success in it or realize it's not for you. Sticking with one thing can be a great way to ensure that you have direction when you sit down to work. So consider pushing yourself to stick with something until you know it's for you or not, if you feel directionless in your work in particular. You could be prolonging directionlessness by jumping around too much. But on the other hand, jumping around is needed to search out that thing that makes your muse sing. 
So don't hesitate to try new things if it makes your muse curious and drives you to explore it, not just from a desire to create the same kind of cool things another artist is making. So when it comes to recognizable style, let's talk about this. You can ask yourself, what do I want to accomplish? And does having an easily recognizable style or consistent type of work serve that or not? Or you can ask yourself, what kind of creating makes me happiest? And then from there, build your creative hearth and haven around that happiness rather than warp it to fit what you think you should be doing. To be an artist, you only have to have a sense of curiosity and a drive to create. What you produce, how you do it, how much you create, or what you do with the work should not be measured against the work in ways of others or determined by the way anyone else does it. You do you as much as it is possible as you work to keep balance in your life. Now, I know this is just a bunch of words and metaphors and that things are rarely so simple as all that. There are more considerations than just one's authenticity in their work, but there is rarely a reason that creating according to what makes you happiest can't be a primary consideration. Art made from joy and passion reads as passionate. When someone sees an amazing piece of art and wonders just how they did it, well, I can tell you that part of that, at least, is that hard to pin down difference between their work and other people's work, especially people who copy them. It's their passion born of their exploration, their curiosity, their love for the concepts that they're exploring for the processes as they go through and or putting their inner thoughts out into the world. I think feeding that passion and having it emerge in your art will serve every artist, no matter what your version of success is. So if you're feeling like you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, if you're not focused or feeling too focused, be kind to yourself and start by asking what you want to be accomplishing with your art. And don't forget to ask why you want that. If you can't find a true inner purpose or a concrete reason specific to your life and circumstances, then maybe you're letting other people's ideas of success cloud your picture of what you need and what you want your success to be. If you have a really hard time defining what's most important to you in terms of your success and doing your art, try this. Make a list of all the reasons you create, from feeding a creative compulsion to the ego boosts when shared to making money to getting into flow, etc. Try making a list of at least 10 things, maybe more. You can ask someone close to you to identify why they think you create. Just try to make it exhaustive so you don't miss anything. Then take the first thing on the list and compare it to the next thing on the list and ask yourself, which of those two things would you choose if you could only have one? Whichever wins out, compare that to the next thing on the list and ask the same question. Do this until you've got a winner from the last comparison. And guess what? That winner is going to be the most important thing to you on that list. Now, don't be surprised if it's something you wholly didn't expect. And don't judge it either. If it turns out to be money, okay, great. Now you know. If it's ego, well, yeah, that can be kind of hard to admit sometimes. But that could also be a wake-up call to pay attention to how much you're influenced by outside sources. And maybe that need is getting in the way of doing the really original work you've been craving. Knowing these things is a great starting point for analyzing what you're doing and why. If you want to see what is second and third or what order the whole list should be in, remove the winner from the list and then do it again. Compare the first one with the second one and do it again all the way down until you have a second most important thing. If you keep doing this, you can move the winners from each round to a second list numbered one to whatever, however many you have. And then you'll have a list of the reasons you create in order of importance from the most important to the least important. This is something I do with my coaching clients when they're feeling lost. 
the list you end up with can be a huge revelation. If you do this and you're super surprised by your results, do write to me. I'd be super curious to see what you're coming up with. You can send those thoughts as well as criticisms or questions or anything else by reaching out to me at the website at thesagearts.com. Go to the contact page and use the email form there or leave a voice message using that little red button you'll find in the bottom right corner. As I mentioned at the beginning, if you're enjoying these episodes and find value in what I'm doing here, consider giving back. You can do that by going to the sagearts.com webpage where halfway down the homepage, you will find the buy me a coffee and PayPal donation buttons. You can also follow the podcast on social media on Facebook or Instagram. Both are under the Sage Arts Podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, go ahead and hit those share buttons or you're welcome to grab the images and post them wherever you want to post them. Plus, if you are interested in the photography and poetry combination things that I was talking about earlier that I do, it's on my personal Instagram page. Just look up Sage Brave Aaron and you'll find that. Also, if you haven't yet, do hit the follow button on your podcast player so you don't miss out when new episodes go live. Although it will usually come out by the end of the day here on the U.S. West Coast on Fridays for a weekend perusal so you can know what the schedule is there. Also, quick note for my Polymer peeps, I'll be presenting a talk on publishing in the world of art and craft for the International Polymer Clay Association this next Sunday, the 26th of February. You do have to be a member to attend, but it's just $35 a year for a ton of benefits from this association. So do look into the membership. You can find it at theipca.org. Once you're a member, look for the emails with the Zoom link and join me on the 26th. Also, be sure to listen to the next episode. So it'll be episode 12. I'm going to have Dion Kaler. She's a award-winning photographer. And we're going to talk about the reasons to focus. So if it seemed like we talked a lot about reasons that you don't need to focus this time, next time it'll be about reasons to focus and the ways that you can do that. So I'm going to leave you with those thoughts for today. I hope you feel encouraged or validated in your artistic choices or have a few more tools to explore what path you want to follow and what grooves you want to put in that road of yours. In the meantime, as always, I encourage you to feed your muse, stay true to yourself and your weirdness, and we'll see you next time on the Sage Arts Podcast.